Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Heroku in the Wild series. Hello and welcome to the Codish podcast, uh, where we talk with developers and engineering leaders about a variety of topics ranging from languages and frameworks to data and event-driven architectures to individual and team productivity. I'm Heroku developer advocate Chris Castle, and I'm joined here by some stellar folks. We've got Heroku's JVM platform engineer, Joe Kuttner, and our special guest today is Andrew Garcia, the CTO of GoodShuffle. Uh, we're going to discuss Java, Grails, Gradle, um, and GoodShuffle's tech stack. But first, let's do some intros. Joe, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm an architect on the languages team at Heroku, and I own the Java experience on the platform. Uh, so what that means is if you've ever tried deploying a Java app on Heroku and it didn't work, it's probably my fault. So I'm an engineer. I do uh, work on the components that make the, the JVM run. Uh, and I also do some support and, and work with our customers to make sure they're having a good experience. And then Andrew, can you tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about GoodShuffle too? And then I'll let, I'll let Joe jump in with, with some of his questions after that. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I have been um, you know, developer since I was 12, but I suppose more professionally since um, 2005. Was in uh, government contracting for a while previously. Was dealing a lot of um, early, you know, big data, data visualization issues, kind of when those were first coming about. And in 2015, my co-founder and I we went full time on Good Shuffle. Um, before that, we'd been working in coffee shops for a couple of years, um, and we just discovered a really awesome opportunity in the event space and decided to focus our efforts building technology for that. And so, you know, now we're a two product com company. We have um, GoodShuffle Pro, which helps event rental production design companies, et cetera, create quotes, contracts, invoices, just effectively manage their entire business operations. And then we have GoodShuffle.com, which is a marketplace, you know, B2C, kind of like an Amazon for event rentals. So if you need, you know, tents, tables, linens for a backyard party or fundraiser, you find the vendors in your city and book it online. So it's fairly complex where one product is, you know, an ERP CRM and the other one is a, you know, marketplace style product. And um, we're building and deploying both of those on Heroku and um, they share the same backend stack as well. Why did you choose Java? Why did you choose the JVM for your infrastructure? I mean, I mean, obviously I love the JVM. It's got a long history, but uh, there's a lot of other choices out there. I think it's a combination. I mean, there's a kind of a holistic answer to that, I suppose. It would be hard to deny that, you know, having an enterprise background myself dealing for, you know, building software for large customers, Java was kind of the, pre the prevalent language at the time. You know, back in the day, like Rails and other frameworks were still kind of early. There weren't a lot of gems and support. So Java for me at the time, there was just a lot of a lot more library support for that to tie into payment networks, et cetera. Um, also, it was something that I already knew. I mean, I was very familiar with Spring and Hibernate, but um, a, a coworker of mine had turned me on to Grails at the time, and I appreciated how much that framework you know, gave you the benefits of Spring and Hibernate, but isolated you away from just the myriad of XML files to config every single bean or, you know, one-to-many relationships in Hibernate, etc. So, you know, that was, that would probably be one deniable answer to the question, just, you know, previous experience. 
also, I kind of just at this current stage, I maybe it's when I'm talking to developers that are getting started out, or uh, I, I mean, honestly, to a certain extent, I'm just so busy building. I don't, I'm not really um, tuned into you know following the latest trends from a framework perspective. Um, but I hear things sometimes that are a little concerning when people are like, oh, man, like I, I, I really love, I really love JavaScript, and I don't know. To me, that just sounds odd to me, like a carpenter saying i really love nails <laughs> and i'm like well yeah i mean i guess it kind of depends you know when somebody says that to me they're like well i'm like well what kind of problem are you solving or what's your team structure or your management structure or, or who's you know how are you running your project so anyway all that to say is that um it made sense at the time i guess which is kind of should probably be on the tombstone of every developer um <laughs> and so yeah it made sense at the time i've lived with it it's been able to give me what i need i've been able to you know get the response times and performance and grow the platform um and thankfully the decision uh, of grails jvm and deployments to heroku etc have all put me in a position where i can build features incredibly fast and not worry about um you know those technology choices so far haven't created any significant te tech debt that i've had to deal with yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I think Grails and Heroku have something in common, and that is a tilt towards being opinionated or convention over configuration. And that probably mm -hmm. yeah, that probably comes from both having uh, an origin with Ruby on Rails. Uh, do you find that that's like kind of suits your development style to you know take what a particular framework or platform chooses as a happy path? Or do you like having more control? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I would say particularly when you're dealing with a framework that's in its later versions. I mean, I would certainly be wary of something that's in like its point nine version or one point two. But you know, at the time I was getting involved with, it, I think it was already in the two dot x range. I, w I was recently talking with um, a developer we'd brought on that had come back or come from like a really heavy React Redux background, and our front end is in Angular. And so I think there's probably kind of a little bit of a different, you know, it's kind of that same theology there, right? I mean, Angular is a little more prescriptive with how it wants you to develop its front end. Whereas, and from what I understand, the React posture is like, well, there's a general framework, but you can, you know, get, imp you know, any number of different implementations from any number of different places. So, you know, even though you can tell someone, hey, I built it in React, you have to have a series of follow-on questions that ask, okay, well, what plugin did you use for this, 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 and this? I, I've, I've certainly never felt um, restrictive in playing around in the Grail sandbox. Is Grails more like, would, would, in that analogy, is Grails more like Angular there? And that it's like, you kind of, there, there's a happy path for everything. It's not like React where, yeah, you have to like make a decision about how you store state and how you do a bunch of other things. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it does exactly what I need it to do. I mean, if I need um, something that just behaves inherently different, then like, you know, I guess a good example would be um, Grails had built out um, like a, an eventing architecture inside it, like a, a you know, publish subscribe mechanism. And I dabbled into it a little bit and I was like, this feels odd. Like, why am I not using something, you know, just a JMS implementation like RabbitMQ or something that is actually meant for event-driven architectures? Um, and it ended up that I was right. I, I ran into some particular issues with Grails where if you're running in a multi-node environment where um, servers are coming up and down, you could have a message being published and you don't necessarily have guaranteed consumption of that message 
or guaranteed deliverability, which is a huge problem um, from an event-driven architecture perspective. So I effectively killed that feature as I was using it in Grails and just migrated to a pure RabbitMQ solution to manage offloading certain jobs to worker dynos. Um, and so I guess every time I've come across something, I'm like, you know, I'm using Grails exactly what I needed to do, you know, host the controller service logic, you know, invoke data sources. But, you know, if I need distributed locking, I use, you know, Redis. If I need uh, indices, I use, you know, Elasticsearch. I mean, everything has its purpose. I think when you maintain and adhere to a separation of responsibilities, then I think everything is better for it from an architecture perspective. Hmm. That's cool. It's, it's interesting. It's like you've, you're kind of in a happy medium, it sounds like, in some ways, in that, like, you've, you've you know, you, Grails gives you a lot, but then you also don't say, I, I must get everything from Grails. Um, I can, can use these other things, which are, like, the right tools for the job. Yeah, yeah. The, the, so far, so good. <laughs> Is there anything you feel you're missing? In Grails? Yeah, or I guess in your infrastructure as a whole. You know, I think that, that that answer kind of always depends on the current, you know, fire that I'm putting out. Um, <laughs> I, I'm always, you know, keen to have, in, you know, increased visibility and monitoring. You know, something that I do miss is at one point I was using Splunk to really get, like, nice, crisp visualizations of my logs. And I could do some pretty easy, you know, click and drag and drop uh, mining of that. You know, so where if you just log out in key value pairs, like runtime equals 100 millisecond. You can kind of chart that across the entire your system, multiple systems, and you know I guess to Heroku's credit, I, I believe I would have to assume that there's some plug in there that I haven't wired into yet that'll give me that. But really, just it's monitoring for capacity planning and you know uh, system performance is kind of the main issue that I have right now. I don't really have any barriers building features or technology other than my just our our, our hands here building it. Um, so are you are you saying that you? You wish you had better insight into, like, the running processes and and getting that sort of telemetry out of them. Yeah, it's like you know I have a fairly highly concurrent system. You know, especially with you know Good Shuffle Pro, you have you know everyone at a particular business using it simultaneously, touching the same contacts, projects, etc. And so you know being able to isolate you know there can be any number of causes of latency right in a in a particular request it could be you know dom rendering their browser speed their machine speed i mean we recently came up across an issue where we realized you know a large percentage of our users speed issues had to do with they were their machines were completely maxed out before they'd even opened our tab i mean there's internet memes everywhere just chrome tabs crunching memory and so we'd do some screen shares we'd see they were already at like 3.9 gig allocated of a 4 gig machine and they're like well why is your application slow and i'm like well it just took you seven seconds to load google's speed test from a search and so <laughs> i think we have some other problems to work through here yeah so you know we talked through you know get them to download great suspender that sort of thing but anyway back to the you know the, our response times um you know there can be issues with a third-party service or just garbage collection on the jvm and so finding you know being able to efficiently identify who the offenders are for those garbage collection spikes um, would be handy um, something that becomes harder and harder to do as the just volume and activity on your servers are increasing um, so and, and a really convenient way to do that would be with a tool like um, Splunk that is able to help you really analyze you know spikes of by activity type yeah it's pretty interesting you're doing you're running at a, a pretty interesting scale and, and with really interesting concerns around latency and response time and 
You're not using the new hotness. How is that possible? You've got these solid, mature tech, and it, and it seems to do quite well for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I try not to. <laughs> I really hope that day never comes where I'm like, you know, the old man shaking his fist. But like, <laughs> you know, you see, I just, you know, every all of us as builders have worked for those product managers that just chase shiny balls. And you just end up with Frankenstein systems that, you know, just just because it's new doesn't mean it's great or it applies to your your problem and also just you know being a lean team you don't have you have to be very selective of the tech debt you choose to buy down um and as a result you know we were very prudent with the with the features that we try to build i mean you know something that's really fortunate for us is you know my co-founder is a ui ux guy and so you know, we do quite a bit of iteration before we even get to building it. And while we're doing that, I'm thinking through the technical implications of that solution so that when it is created, we're not, you know, immediately creating a vulnerability in the system from a performance perspective. But sometimes you do. I mean, you know, when we were originally building our dashboards, there was a lot of calculations that were happening on server. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be a problem at scale. And then, of course, you know, that day comes and you know comes time to rebuild those in you know in a data store that's meant to run those calculations in near real time so speaking of the new hotness let's talk about jdk 11 for a second <laughs> <laughs> uh so you're on jd jdk 8 correct i believe so yep and i think i mean i think some of that is dictated by grails i don't think it supports jdk 11 yet although i could be wrong correct i know well i guess i know yeah, Gradle sure. recently added support for nine and up so yeah it would if it's if that's recent i would imagine grails is still a little bit behind yeah it's pluggable i mean much like you know building your own computer back like you know i can overclock my cpu but then i got to deal with a bunch of other situation <laughs> issues like yeah i think there's like a new version of gorm that i can try and hack into the current version of um grails that's out there but um i did that and i attempted it um because I was actually trying to get the web app runner to run locally because I was having some issues with Java Assist. But anyway, yeah, so it's just like anytime I've attempted or I can to push up, sometimes you'll be pleasantly surprised. But, you know, I have never really been dissatisfied with the speed of the community making those improvements on the Grails platform. So I typically just have waited for those to happen given just that I'm so busy with everything else. But there's nothing you're dying to get at in JDK 11? Um, you know, honest answer would be I just haven't looked into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were to tell me that there's like some amazing new garbage collectors that are coming out, then I would be like, okay, yeah, you need to make that happen. I mean, we don't really have a garbage collection issue at the moment, but I mean, who wouldn't benefit from you know less time sure. with system halts? Yeah, it that. sounds like you're you're more interested in adding value above that line where it where it really impacts your business, right? Mm -hmm, correct. Not dealing with some of the is there something amazing that I'm unaware of, and I need to like go ahead and make this uh, <laughs> make this happen? It's 10x faster. Yeah. It fixes oh, yeah. it fixes all <laughs> the problems. The other thing is, I think JDK eight is it's going to be here a while. It's the new JDK six, and um, you know we're going to be supporting it for a while. Frameworks will be supporting it, and people will be running on it for a long time. So, yeah, I mean, I don't feel a huge sense of urgency. Although uh, there is a lot of interest for JDK eleven, um, you know, broadly in the community. Um, it's JDK. It's definitely here to stay for at least a, a little longer. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's usually when I run into an issue with something that I become intimately familiar with the minor release versions of a particular <laughs> package. 
Um, so, um, yeah, so just of, uh, I guess, through coincidence, I haven't yet run into that yet. But, I mean, it wasn't too long ago before, you know, you and I were dealing with, um, you know, some really low-level you know, system memory allocation issues. And I think, I believe there was a Grails memory leak issue back in the day. And then, you know, we were talking about it. And then I recall getting that this uh, survey from Heroku, like, which of these features would you guys love to see? And I, I could only click one time how awesome, um, you know, low-level memory, na you know, native memory application would be for me. And so then that actually came out, so... Yeah, and I think some of that was also, there's definitely like frameworks will have memory leaks, but some of it was that the the JVM being an older technology that predates containers and Docker uh, has always struggled to run well inside of a container. Uh, it, you know, it has, mm. it tries to make intelligent decisions about how much CPU and how much memory, uh, and it basically gets those wrong inside of Docker. That's definitely been improved mm. in JDK 11. Um, I wouldn't say it's been fixed. Um, and then JDK 8 does have some capability to do that better. But neither, I think, neither runtime has found a, a real ideal solution. So um, you'll still have those things, whether whatever version you're running on. Andrew, were you referring to like being, being able to like hook up JMX to like get metrics from your a process running on Heroku? Yeah, I mean, that was the, that, I mean, I'm sure that way still exists, and that was the way that it had to be done previously. Um, but now, just through the, you know, the metrics panel inside Heroku, you can get uh, more okay. quicker insight into, like, non-heat memory usage. That was particularly my issue. Yeah, Java-specific metrics in there, as opposed to just, like, kind of process generic. Right, right. Tell us how you're using uh, RabbitMQ for what capabilities. You mentioned Redis for, I think, like, distributed locking. Correct, yeah. And then Elastic for indexing? Right, right, right. So, I mean, you know, given the marketplace product, you have to support things like, you know, full text search, um, geographic search, that sort of thing. It's just built for that. Um, not to mention um, aggregations and just the ability to create, you know, generate those types of analytics um, in the index versus, you know, pulling that data into your server and computing it there. And yeah, RabbitMQ, I mean, it's just a pretty classic, you know, JMS event-driven solution. Um, you know, guaranteed deliverability execution, dead letter queues, all those good things. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, it was just, I guess, fortunately, just due to my ex experience or things that I've come across, it seemed like obvious solutions that um, would solve those problems just to, you know, handle the handshake between, you know, web and worker dyno. And so those all have pretty good integration with... Spring or Grails? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's super well-traveled path. Again, you know, the nice thing about Grails is just wrapping around the whole Spring and Hibernate community. So um, it's extremely trivial to um, find the correct jar, load it through the Gradle, and then you're just off to the races. It's pretty interesting that you are, um, like, the, the role you're in. You're a founder. You're a pretty sharp tech guy. <laughs> like, what, what kind of job don't you do? Um, well, I don't make anything I build look good, <laughs> so uh, I think that's, um, fortunately we have Eric for that. He, um, you know, I, I really don't enjoy any sort of CSS pixel manipulation, um, so <laughs> I'm more than happy to hand all that SAS work over to him. My background is a consultant, so part of it was, you know, being technical, but also being able to talk to the stakeholders, and so that's been, you know, really handy when, um, you know, 
we're getting out in the field and talking to the you know, event rental production companies to understand, you know, how their business operates, to really listen to them and hear, you know, what they're really looking for, and then being able to map that simultaneously to what the solution will be. I don't know. It, it's just it's been quite an adventure, but I think as most builders out there can appreciate, it's just it's been really um, exciting to be in control of how we build it, the technology we use, um, and just really, and charting the path along with our customers just is really fulfilling. Um, I'm sure a lot of us have remember being in projects where, you know, our managers and et cetera, you know, isolated us away from mm -hmm. the client and that's, that's not always fun. So it's great to hear like the excitement from your customers when they're like, oh man, this is amazing. And you're like, sweet. But I guess that means like when you have an incident or, or a problem in production that it hit, hits home pretty hard, right? Like, you really feel that that need to get things working again can be stressful at all or oh yeah i mean we have a fairly you know sophisticated you know alert system where yeah you know to my detriment that you know it goes straight to my phone um and i think probably a lot of us that are have worn pagers in the past etc i mean when i can i can tell by the rhythm of the vibration in my phone like whether or not it's a fatal issue or not <laughs> yeah you know if it's like I'm like, oh, damn, all right. So I got to pull my laptop out wherever bar I'm at or, you know, my house and just like, you know, troubleshoot, slide down that fire pole and get it resolved. Um, yeah, well, hopefully Heroku helps in that regard. I mean, I guess the advantage is there are a certain number of things that you aren't worrying about by running on a pass. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was like, I, we have enough problems. It's, it's a pretty simple equation when we're like dealing, we're thinking with things at, at here in our operations. It's like, you know, if you, if you create, it's cre if the technology is creating more problems than it's solving, then, you know, it's got to go immediately. So, yeah, I mean, not having to, you know, to deal with anything platform related, even, you know, proxy config, SSL handshake stuff, I'm just more than happy to not have to deal with. Oh, we love TLS handshakes. They're like our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, one thing, I, I someone shared a quote from you, I believe, that was um, sometimes a sign of the best technology is that you don't feel it or that you're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit more about like what that means to you or like, or like why that's important to you. It, it kind of reminds me of, it, we kind of see it in all the decisions we're, we're making. Even if you're, if you're creating like an, an alerting system, right? And like we have, we have conflicts in our system for inventory management to tell a vendor when they've overbooked themselves, right? Um, if you were to constantly fire alarms to a user that there was something wrong, they'll really quickly ignore it, right? Like it has to be a meaningful issue that's popped up that they can take action with and resolve. And so it's just like that signal to noise ratio, I guess is kind of what I'm getting at at, a, at an overall level. So it's, you know, if, you know, Heroku was constantly, you know, paying me with, you know, some sort of issue that was happening, you'll just quickly ignore it. And, you know, moving down in that story, it's whether it's our users that are using our SaaS platform or me as a consumer of the Heroku platform, mm -hmm. much like our users, I'm, I have so many other problems to solve that not receiving any sort of alerts um, through, our, through the error channels that I have set up to monitor issues um, is a good day. Because um, it means I can spend my time building, you know, features and paying down tech debt. Um, and, you know, same thing for our end users. I mean, they're busy trying to grow their business and sell clients. They don't want to hear about, you know, 
that you know we had a temporary outage because one of our index providers, their, their U.S. East region was down. So similarly, I've been on Heroku for years now, and I don't think I've had an outage that affected me. Hmm. Um, and that's fantastic. Meanwhile, you know, I won't name names. I had just recently migrated a lot, you know, Elasticsearch providers, and you know, weeks into it, there was a five-hour outage um, yeah. on Sunday night at midnight. And you know, actually, I mean, technically, it was only two hours that actually affected us, but still having to, you know, immediately pull out the laptop as you were like, you know, getting ready to go to bed to like, you know, deploy a, a mitigation strategy is not a good time. And I'm acutely aware that that happened because I still remember the exact hour that it happened. <laughs> and so yeah. um, they, from a sales perspective, should not enjoy that I am noticing them. Um, right. Because I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess maybe I need, if this keeps happening, you know, I might need to migrate providers. Yeah, I guess so, a good service provider is kind of like a referee. If they're doing their job, you just don't even notice that they're there. Things just work. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, so you did mention a bit about your tech stack, like mm-hmm. what, um, Elasticsearch and Redis and like what you use some other things. But I don't know if that was the, the complete overview. If you could uh, just give us like a, this is what my tech stack looks like these are the services i look like or i use um and and this is this is why i use them um kind of for all the main pieces at least of what you're comfortable sharing that would be great yeah i mean you know we're certainly not i certainly haven't disclosed anything that um we wouldn't include on a job description which obviously we would presume our competitors would have if they cared to Mm -hmm. check yep um you know i wouldn't say you know we're doing anything exotic with respect to the third-party services that we're connecting to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the trickery that I'm doing um, for speed is more something that we're running in-house just from my um, previous big data days. So I won't get into those particulars. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have Stripe for payment processing. You know, we use Amazon for cloud storage. Um, yep. The uh, the Blitline plugin that you guys offered through Heroku for, you know, image manipulation Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, as we've been moving along, it's fairly obvious which jobs don't belong running on your, your web dynos and image manipulation is certainly one of those, you know, paper trail, pretty straightforward things. Um, what about, um, data persistence like Postgres or MySQL or yeah, Postgres. Yeah. We're running the Heroku Postgres there too. Um, that's been good. No outages or any issues there, no performance issues. That's great. And then yeah, the Redis and plugin through Redis plugin rather through, through Heroku as well. That's like the. I don't mean boring in a in a bad way, but right, it's like boring tech or simple. Just keep your tech stack boring or or simple is <laughs> better than going after the new hotness all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm still using. I think you mentioned Memcache, which I'm still using that for the uh, distributed session management. But I really shouldn't move that over to Redis just so I can you know uh, solidify that. Or you know, it's a little redundant to be running both of those. Well, thanks for joining us uh, for this podcast. Uh, thank you, Andrew and and Joe, for the interesting conversation. And we'll talk to you guys all later. Thanks, Chris. Sounds great. Great to meet you guys. Talk soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish Podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.